Um, I think absinthe is a good one for that one. Oh, yeah. Any synth with a randomized button on it is good for that. I feel like synths that don't have a randomized button on them are dumb. I feel like every synth should have one. Yes. I guess, wait, does Serum have one? Yes. Please. I guess not. I don't know. Well, Serum's not dumb. I actually just had Steve Duda on the podcast. Oh, sweet. Massive, massive has a randomized button. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager and spiritual advisor, Anand Harsh. I'm also editor-in-chief of TheUnce.com. Well, you've made it. You survived the hell year known as 2020. There's no immediate reason to believe that things will be better in 2021, but if we're allowed to, you know, leave our houses at some point, I suppose that will be some marginal improvement. So there's that. Bill's guest today is longtime producer and collaborator and fellow big brain in the studio, Virtual Riot. Christian Brun is a German producer and performer known for big tunes across a variety of styles and sounds. He's had major releases on Owlsla, Monster Cat, and Disciple Recordings, and remixes of Excision, Kill the Noise, and Zed, among others. He and Bill go way back, so their conversation is far-ranging and fun. You're going to love it. Support for the Mr. Bill podcast comes from Cryptic Coast. Cryptic Coast is an independent record label and music magazine hoping to connect up-and-coming artists with music lovers. The community is growing and new musical content is added to the library often, such as articles like What Makes Music Good and A Brief History of Dubstep. They have recently launched a clothing line for anyone who wishes to support the brand. This includes sleek streetwear designs that will help you look more fashionable for the new year. If you're interested in exploring new music, want to check out some of the designs, want to expand your breadth of knowledge involving music, or if you're an artist that would like to join the interactive community, go to crypticcoast.com. Use code MrBill10, that's M-R-B-I-L-L-1-0, for 10% off any product on the site. Thank you for supporting this show on Patreon. It helps keep the show going and also grants fans early access to episodes and ad-free versions of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash MrBillsTunes to get a full list of perks. Finally, please head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files, access to a bunch of sample packs, including the brand new Massive Collection Spectra, which isn't even available for public consumption until January 8th, and a bunch of other stuff. MrBillsTunes.com. Okay, here's Bill's chat with Virtual Riot. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I am now recording. Nice. Cool. Cool microphone. That's the uh the Joe Rogan mic. Yes, I was <laughs> gonna say this is um this is the podcast mic. Yeah, the what is it, what is it, the Shore SM five B? SM seven B, SM five B or something like that. Right. Yeah, I feel like that's the the standard go to for podcasts these days. And also like probably yeah. recording vocals a lot of the time, right? Oh, it's uh, Sonny's uh, favorite vocal mic, you told me. 
It's a good mic, yeah. Every time I've ever heard recordings come out of it, it always sounds pretty nice. Sweet. I think it really just depends, like, what you're plugging it into, though, right? Like, the preamp yeah. seems to have a lot to do with it. Yeah, I've only ever started using, like, a, a Universal Audio Apollo now that I moved into this new studio here, and I've never used, like, Universal Audio stuff before. And um, then I had a vocal session with someone, and uh, I wanted to try out, like, their plugins. You know how they have, like, the UAD stuff? Mm -hmm. And I haven't bought any of them, so they're all, like, in the 14-day trial period. So I, like, started the 14-day trial period on all these vocal plugins, and then I looked at the vocalist and was like, we've got 14 days. <laughs> <laughs> to get this done now <laughs> are they good um i tried like i really liked the waves api 2500 emulation so i tried the uad one and it was pretty nice uh but maybe it's i just like the compressor in general i might get the rack version of that eventually if i ever wanted some some hardware stuff hmm. uh, i haven't tried any of the other stuff yet like everyone was always telling me like oh yeah the uad stuff but then i was always like oh but what if i'm on the road and i don't want to bring like an, a little apollo thing with me everywhere i go um so i never like committed to it yet but um i've been spending more and more time in this uh, one studio space here now and uh, maybe I'll, I'll have a look into it yeah nice is um you're still in la right yeah, um, my uh, I don't know. You have you haven't been to my spot. I'm in the arts district, but it's like the studio here that I have here at Lemon Tree is like oh oh you've been here before I've, yeah I've been, oh yeah. we hung out here before. I'm so I'm in a different room now, um, the one that's across from the bathroom. Uh, Blood Pub used to be in here um, before, and then he moved out, uh, and they gave me this room sort of as part of the uh, publishing deal with Ausler as well. And um, from here, it's like, yeah, uh, Dylan's place is around the corner. Yeah, nice. Oh, he moved, though. I think he went to Vancouver. Oh, he did he already? Oh, yeah, he told me he yeah. was going to. Yeah, right. that's a cool area, though. It's like kind of industrial, but it's like still cool. Yeah, you can be as loud as you want at any time of, uh, time of day and time of night. There's the big gray building where all like, I think Iron Maiden's guitarist or drummer or something has a studio in there, too. There's like lots of rock and band music coming out of that building <laughs> at all times. Yeah, nice. Uh, do you do you like having the studio away from home, or do you prefer to work at home? I person, I do. I don't mind working at home, but my wife does. Right. <laughs> if I do, because uh, like the place we live in is just one big studio loft, sort of like one big studio apartment, just one big room. So um, either I work on headphones or she hears it, and then if it's like eight hours of the same bass loop in the row or something then <laughs> i can understand how it can drive it a little crazy but then again also this is like five minutes uh like a, a scooter ride from home so i can just pop in here for two hours and then come back home and it's kind of also structured it a little bit better like whereas before i was always like basically on and off my laptop all day every five minutes very erratic very difficult to like make plans around and then and and she likes it a lot more as well if i'm just like okay i'll be in the studio from like 2 p.m to 8 p.m and then i'm home and then it's like not music for the rest of the day mm. yeah do you, like, do you find it like um pretty easy to just like turn on music writing and just be like all right i'm writing music now and then write music for X amount of hours and then just like turn it off and be like, all right, I'm not writing music anymore. The writing thing, like the creative part is a little more difficult. That can be like, like I'll be going to bed at 3 a.m. and then I'll be like, 
fuck, I need to record this melody right now or I'll forget it or something. And then I'll get up and I'll be on the computer for two more hours or something. And then <laughs> that I'll just sometimes just have to be like, okay, I, uh, I, I need to let this out now or something. But uh, if it's something like a, a studio session where, for example, now I started doing this this vocal sample pack with, with Leah where... Um, with Leah Culver, where we'd have like, oh yeah, let's meet here at this hour and start recording vocal samples and something, then that's like more of a, okay, this is what you need to do. This is not very like creative. Uh, that's super easy to just do uh, on a schedule. Right. It's kind of just like uh, labor or whatever, rather than yeah. sort of like create creative work. Yeah, I it was still it was it was still fun because we had to like it, I wanted to make like a vocal sample pack and we were just like how do we go about this so I just started to like write down single words or like little phrases little like verses that rhyme and then we just have to like figure out okay how can we record this in what melodies we just like make it up on the spot but it was really fun just like making a little sheet of of sketches for for lyrics also just like random words like that we would record and then turn it into like a cool robot Siri voice like exiting the simulation <laughs> yeah right yeah i've never made a vocal sample pack before i just made a new sample pack called spectra i think i gave you like a very early version of it um, oh i'll check it out yeah it's finally finished now it's not out yet but it's like 1500 sounds but pretty much like the way okay. i made it was just like went through all of my old files and just like rendered everything out that i thought sounded cool yeah, that was that's my uh, process for the heavy bass design ones, pretty much, because there's just yeah. so many unfinished project files. Right, yeah, you just go through it, yeah, and just salvage it for parts and kind of sell it that way so you're not wasting your work time. Because, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. always a shame, right, when you invest, like, hundred or you know yeah hundreds of hours into like many whips that just don't get finished and it's just like mm. kind of sitting there wasting away like not doing anything it's like yeah. somebody might as well make use of it whether it's just the sound design or whether yeah. or not you, you turn them into collabs or whatever sometimes i wish that like already in the moment where i decided like oh i don't want to work on this anymore i would at least stem it out or something and have it in an easily accessible place because I'll have like so many little started ideas that I'll forget about half of them. And then if I go through all my project files, I'll literally just search for .als and then just go through the date and of all project files on my computer and just open whichever ones I'm like, I have no idea what this file name even means. And then sometimes there's something in there where I'm like, why did I abandon this? This is actually kind of cool. <laughs> Move it over into the maybe for the album folder or something. Nice. So you're working on an album? Uh, yeah, I've... I've been for like this entire year, sort of, and I wanted to get it done this year, but uh, then Corona-induced depression sort of prevented that. Oh, yeah. And also this like idea that I want I wanted to, to start the site project that is like on the go now, still kids with like future bassy, more poppy stuff, like less dubstepy, and I'm still seeing where it goes. I don't know if I just started it because of like the discrepancy between fans, where it's like if I do a melodic thing on Vertriot, it's like where's the rhythm, and then if I do a rhythm thing, where's the melodic stuff. So I was like, oh, if I split it up between two two aliases, maybe <laughs> that's gonna solve the problem. But it's more like oh, now I have two Twitters and two Instagrams to take care of and one's already a, a bunch so it, right. that's the part i'm not so stoked about there is the the name still kids is that like pertaining to like we remain children like we're, we're still yeah. kids or is yeah. it like still kids as in like stillbirth like dead no dead children no <laughs> yeah. no no it's it's a like the nostalgia of like yeah uh, like we remain we not, are still kids not growing up yeah gotcha Okay, yeah, it's funny because like, well, it's not really funny, but like the first few times you told me that name, I was like, oh, that's pretty edgy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I never thought about it that way. Damn it. 
Yeah, we had I had this song for like this first Future Bass EP that still came out under Virtual Right, and there was a song in there called Still Kids that I just started like an instrumental like that, but it had that title, and then I gave it to the singer from a university, and she wrote the lyrics around the title Still Kids, and she made it all about nostalgia and about not growing up and everything. And I was like, oh damn, nice! I, I love it when that happens. When it's just like that, because sometimes the title for a fully instrumental song can just be like loosely associated. And then her making the lyrics all about that and really nailing it. I was like, oh, okay, great. Now you've themed it properly. Yeah, I kind of feel like the the name of songs for instrumental songs is usually always just completely arbitrary for me, at least. Like I write a song and it's usually yeah. called like, I don't know, Weird Project 7.als or something. And then at the end, yeah. I'm, when I'm finished with it, I'm like, oh, shit, I should give it a name. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, convoluted. Or <laughs> I know. That's where I'm at right now as well. Like, And I remember very fondly when I was like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, when I just started, I was like so much more hyped about the names. And I'd just be like, oh, I, what if I name the song this? And then I just write the song around it. And then eventually this changed into like, oh, I really don't care about the title anymore. I've just started like a, a text file some years ago where it's just cool sounding words <laughs> or something that like a friend said that sounded interesting. And then this is just the go-to song name library if I can't come up with something. Right. My favorite non-song name kind of thing that anyone has ever made is, um. do you know the the uh, guys um dot dot? They, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have a song that's just called Skrillex 4. Oh yes, <laughs> so good. I I remember that. Oh, we used to hang out with them in uh, when I lived in uh, on North Bronson in Hollywood. I saw them a couple of times there. They were really cool. Oh, they're LA based too. I th- don't know if they still are. Probably. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I always wanted to name like. Uh, unnecessarily long song titles for something EDM-y. I guess Scary Monsters and Ice Sprites kind of does that, where like Under Oath with like their song names, like uh, It's Dangerous Business Just Going Out Your Front Door or something. <laughs> like Yeah, right, like a whole sort of phrase. There's like a, yeah. um, what's that, like Parkway Drive, Smoke Em If You Got Em or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. That's like a really old punk hardcore thing to do, I think. Like mm. uh bands like refused and stuff i could see doing stuff like that yeah or like emo screamo stuff yeah yeah true are you into that kind of stuff um i was a lot more when i grew up um like under oath alexis on fire funeral for a friend which is funny now because now with pat i did the spicy rhythm drums pack and he used to drum for funeral for a friend um mm. uh, but uh, I actually, after um, my brother gave, like, introduced me to all this music when I when I was younger, like uh, he would give me CDs from Enter Shikari, or even if there was something electronic, he would like he would like get it for me. I used like he introduced me to so much music. I would play Need for Speed Underground one, and the soundtrack was so sick. Then he would just find a way to get the soundtrack on CD for me. Uh, or I'd be like, oh, I like this one song from the soundtrack, and it would be like the Prodigy. So he would give me like two of the Prodigy albums to listen to. And uh, there was like a lot of influence influence there from my brother. And then slowly going from, because it started with my parents with like progressive metal and progressive rock, like Dream Theater, Pain of Salvation, but also Genesis, Yes, Gentle Giant, Boxbeard, Supertramp. And then my brother was the more edgy stuff with uh, with emo and screamo. And then from there through bands like Enter Shikari or, or uh, The Prodigy, it would start to become a little more electronic. Yeah, Enter Shikari is so sick. Um, oh, yeah, I saw yeah, them like, lots of times in when they came through Germany 
I've probably seen them like eight or nine times. They're so good. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, see, I think I've seen them once in Australia, a big day out. Um, oh, speaking nice. of Dream Theater, I had Jordan Rudis on here the other day. Ah, I was just going to say, I, I listened to that episode because, yeah, I, um, I've i seen him live too. I've, my parents used to take me to Dream Theater concerts a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, would you say you're like influenced by Dream Theater at all? Because you're, you're like a keys player as well, right? Yeah, in like especially in the older tunes where I would sometimes just put in a synth solo, like the more funky uh, melodic stuff, like the 100% No Bangers EP just had... I was re-listening to that and I was just like, there's just synth solos scattered around the place for no reason. <laughs> well, not no of, reason, it's fine. gotta let it out. Yeah, I feel like my songwriting has changed a lot over the years too in, in similar ways. Like I, I would always just like add tons and tons of edits for no reason. Yeah, uh, and I guess the reason was because I just uh, I don't know felt like I needed to flex all the time on edits or something. And I I um I was I was the same way. It was mostly an influence though for me from uh, like one of the first electronic artists I listened to was BT. And then, like, his Emotional Technology album, especially where he just... Which is basically a big edit flex throughout mm. the entire album. I think Somnambulist on there is, like, a record-holding song for having, like, the most edits or something, like, manually placed audio edits, like, 40,000 40, or something. Jesus Christ. What's the song called? Somnambulist. Huh. I hope I pronounced it right. Because, like, in the vocal, he would... Um, he would basically do amplitude modulation, but by hand, by literally just deleting every other cycle of the bass frequency of the vocal to create an octave lower of layer. Damn, that, sound, that sounds really annoying. <laughs> but I would like, I'm still doing that sometimes for like glitchy edits and going like really in depth with just doing it by hand rather than using something like stutter edit, which he, which he like partially uh, made with Isotope. But, um, yeah, I, I like getting into that by hand sometimes. Uh, like just cutting a vocal up so it yeah. stutters. Oh, but okay. also, but also like to the point of if I would um, if I would go really deep into it, I would go and look for every vowel, and then as soon as the as soon as the waveform hits like a natural cycle because of the vowel being held, trying to loop just that, so it starts to have like this weird robotic almost bit speak like effect but if it's done by hand it can get like weirder and glitchier because you're not doing it quite right or like quite at the exact frequency of of the fundamental right yeah that is fun actually making like um oscillators out of like multiple voices uh, like recorded voices and then playing chords and stuff because it, it just inherently becomes microtonal basically oh yeah I always wondered why that happened, like trying to me trying to import something into a simpler and then looping it super fast, but it wouldn't really key track on the pitch. It would always do some weird stuff. Yeah, you need to use the detuning control or whatever to like get it the rest of the way. Ah, uh, okay. This has just become really nerdy super quickly. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sure that's probably what people are going to expect from this. By the way, thanks for coming on. I know that it's like um, sometimes been tricky to get you to come on. Um, oh yeah, no worries. I love how it has taken both of our managers to finally get us together in the studio to record this. Yeah, I think it's because Dead Mouse was just on, and now your manager was like, "Okay, this this is a good look now." Yeah. <laughs> Whereas and before I keep, they were like, "Yeah." I keep telling them like about you and and about uh, like the stuff you do or, or or how much I love your music, and then. And then if they then they come up to me and be like, oh, you should be on the Mr. Bill podcast. And then I'm just like, I've been telling you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Management is kind of weird. I mean, I, I understand it. Like at some point you 
they just want to be careful to like play all the cards right because it's sort of like the music industry is just a big fucking game of poker face right where it's like mm. everyone's just when when you like look at really what it is that everyone is doing uh like people like you and i we're just sitting in a room making tunes it's like not not that important but it's, oh, it's i mean it is important but it's not that like you know it's not as sensationalized as it gets made out to be on the front end i guess and then you just have all these managers trying to like be very careful about how to sensationalize it and like only let out certain bits of information and withhold a lot of things and yeah i don't know i think i've been i've been really enjoying the side of the live shows too though i i have to admit i do enjoy the attention a lot and then when corona struck it was that that just falling away from the weekends was also like a big uh hit into uh plunge into depression very quickly can i tell you the little my little dj soap story that like kicked off corona depression for me oh yeah of course because um, I think the first gig that got cancelled for me was Rampage. And right before that, um, I had my VJ, uh, Carmen, uh, DJ or VJ Neurite, uh, come over from Minneapolis for like three days. And we stayed up in the studio. We did like three all-nighters in a row because we announced the show as like the great Vertoride visual audio experience, whatever. So we had to like come up with... Um, a really cool intro and everything being like timed and so on. So we just spent three nights in the studio, completely dead. We were going to both fly to Europe for Rampage. And then I'm just sitting in my room in the morning. And then an hour before I had to go to the airport, I just get a text like, yeah, uh, don't fly. It's got canceled. And then we were just so devastated because we spent so much energy on it for the last three days. And we were so excited. Damn. And then just all the infos came in with like, okay, this is all also canceled too. Damn, so, well, at least it's like good to go or ready to go for when shows go back. That's true. But then I think if, I mean, not if, Rampage will be like, there will be a makeup Rampage show. But then once that comes around, I know we'll, me and her will be like, now we gotta, we gotta upgrade this. This is, this feels old to us by now. Well, we might not be that far off things coming back. I mean, cases oh, are going right. up again right now, which sucks. But um, hmm. uh, I just saw an article that got posted today that says doctors are receiving the first doses of the COVID vaccine today. Hell yeah. So, uh, those, are, those are good news. Josh <laughs> Motstep almost moved to um, Austin because he couldn't take it anymore. And then as soon as he heard the vaccine news, he was like, oh, okay, maybe not. Maybe there's <laughs> hope. Yeah, I heard LA was kind of like a, I haven't been there since COVID started, <clears throat> but just from mm -hmm. listening to like podcasts and stuff, seems like everyone who moved to LA to like, because I mean, a lot of the reason why people move to LA, right, is to be able to network with everyone and to work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's like once everyone can't do that anymore, uh, yeah. it seemed like a lot of the people who moved there to like become actors or whatever, just like kind of, or comedians or whatever, just sort of left again and went back to their hometown. So LA became a little bit of a ghost town. And, mm. Yeah, everyone's been telling me a lot of people moved out or moved to Vegas or something. When I was uh, also when I was playing Texas, I was playing San Antonio or something, a drive-in show, and everyone was telling me about, yo, everyone's moving to Austin right now, and like a lot of tech companies, and Elon Musk just built his new uh, factory here, and there's going to be the next Silicon Valley or something. Everyone was raving about it. Hmm. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. Yeah, I know Austin has a bit of a tech scene, and it's definitely like a pretty like progress it's like portland of texas or something <laughs> oh i see Port portland of the south <laughs> i really like enjoy that. portland every time i every time i went there for shows have you not been to austin um maybe once oh, i don't remember when the last time was it's yeah. been a while i'm actually i think i have I have another show in two days i have another show in tampa florida because i guess their regulations are still kind of open um 
but I've I've been doing. Have you done any, any drive-in shows or? Yeah, I've done anything? two with Ganja White Knight. How how did they go? Uh, how did they go? How was that? <laughs> uh, they were good. I um. So the first one was in Wisconsin, and uh, so there's this thing. Do you know about micro COVIDs? Uh, no. What's that? Okay, so there's this this website called microcovid.org, and you can input like a um a circumstance, like a set of conditions where you oh, say oh, it's like, like micromorts, exactly like micromorts, but for COVID. Okay. So it's like a one in a million chance that you'll get COVID, yeah. um, and you just work it out by like you know different cities and whatnot and the different circumstances, like what mask you were wearing versus what mask they were oh, wearing, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it turned out the most micro-COVIDs incurred on the way there was actually just waiting in Minneapolis airport. Oh, I can uh, see that. Because I, my flight was delayed for a few hours. So I, I think I incurred like 350 to 500 micro-COVIDs sitting yeah. there, which is like a 350 to 500 in a million chance of getting COVID. Just still a decent odds, but you don't want to, I guess, make a habit of incurring that many. Uh, I'd like to know the difference between like a Southwest flight where the middle seats are empty and then an American Airlines flight where they just pack it. Oh, they're just was, packing American Airlines flights. Yeah, right? I was super I was super surprised. It was like my first flight to a drive-in show while during COVID time and it was completely full flight. Wow. And every crazy. I can I could tell like other people were also like, huh? Is this is this okay? Is this allowed? All right, okay, I guess. Yeah, the ones that I were on were definitely like pretty empty, which was good. Uh, but as for the show, um, the shows went well. Uh, the second one was in San Bernardino, so I actually just drove down there, which was just oh, nice. like a seven-hour drive or something like that. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't. I thought, like, why risk getting, like, why risk more COVIDs mm. and micro-COVIDs just to fly down <laughs> when I can just drive? So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, both shows have been good. They both sold out. I mean, it's not that hard nice. to sell out a show at this point. Like, <laughs> the capacities are all so low. We had a um, show in, I think, was it Riverside? Or it was like halfway towards San Bernardino. Um, Insomniac did a, mm -hmm. a Halloween show that was like Night of the Raving Dead or something. Oh, was that it was at the, the National Orange Event Center or whatever? No, it wasn't It wasn't in San Bernardino. Like, I've played in that one before, like the airport hangar kind of vibe. The one they did was like by a lake with like in this in this like valley it was uh it was kind of nice lots of lots of nature around it and it was it was sold out i think 250 cars and like five it's like five tickets for like for five people per car so it was like 1200 people or something that was that was quite a lot but they did a good job with like security walking around the place all the time telling everyone to stay within their groups or at some of the drive-in shows they would have it so that it would be a parking lot but every other um every other spot would be empty so you could leave your car with your crew and be in the empty spot but you would be automatically boxed in by other cars so no chance to mingle with other groups that was kind of a nice way of doing it right it still felt really weird though because everyone was super far away and especially <laughs> if it's dark nothing's illuminated so you really can't see what anyone is doing it would be like far in the back there'd be like maybe an led whip or something being waved around and i'd be like oh yeah someone's having fun okay good you're yeah. gonna be you're gonna be my reference point for the rest of this. <laughs> yeah, it is tough. Like it's it's definitely a different vibe playing when like mm. there's not a lot of people right up the front, like on the rail and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I've kind of gotten a few different responses from doing shows. There's like some people who are like, "Oh, you shouldn't be doing shows. Fuck that." And then there's like another bunch of people who are like, "Definitely shows." <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I I feel like it's um, at least. Over the last few months, it hasn't been that unsafe because the cases were like doing okay for a while. Yeah. But I also think that um, you have to balance like the risk of 
spreading COVID with mental health, right? And if everyone yeah. just like stays inside doing nothing forever, like it's kind yeah. of going to give everyone crazy anxiety and destroy society in different ways. Or then if if it's like getting too depressing, you might switch over into the group of deniers and then <laughs> you will still go out and spread it or something. Like it'll maybe drive you crazy to a behavior that'll might be worse than if you only went to a show within three months once or something. Yeah. So have you just done the one drive-in show? Um, I've done a few. I did one in Chicago that was really good. It was like already like the 10th drive-in show from the company or something. They were being like really safe with everything because they were like, okay, yeah, this is our only income right now. We want to do this properly. We don't want to get shut down or anything. So uh, they did it really well. And then um, San Antonio was nice. And in um, El Paso, they did it sort of in like an outdoor seating area of a restaurant where everyone was just like... Uh, supposed to stay at their tables which worked pretty well but that was like really small maybe like a hundred people or something but um i also have to maybe that's a little selfish but i was also like okay i just need a reason to get out of the city for once <laughs> just see yeah. some other people because yeah it was uh i don't know it was maybe just this like cycle of, of flying out on the weekends that suddenly stopped and it was giving my life more of a rhythm than i thought it wasn't just the rhythm of like what you might think of like, oh, partying on the weekend and then suddenly that's not a thing anymore and oh, now I got to party by myself at home every weekend or something to make up for it. But it was more that it was actually structuring my day quite nicely where like, um, since I'm usually a pretty lazy person, it was kind of forcing me to get out of bed, especially like on the weekends to get my flights. And then if there was another, like, I, I never missed a flight. Like if it's sort of this God hand of, oh yeah, you have to get out of bed now, or you're going to miss your flight and you'll be stuck in the city, then I will get up and I will at an, at an hel at a healthy hour rather than stay <laughs> in my bed until 3 PM or something. And this was a good rhythm that I could work with. And then also coming back during the week, it would be kind of like, okay, now you're here during the week and you can't work on the weekends because you're playing shows and it's hard to work on the airplanes. So now during the week, it's getting to work time and being in the studio and being productive. So it was giving me this nice rhythm that then suddenly just uh, was thrown out of the window. And then I would go to bed at six in the morning, wake up at 3 PM, didn't know what day it was. Um, so I found out about this term the other day. It's called uh, like stick people and carrot people. Have you heard of this before? Like are you a stick or a carrot person? No, please elaborate. Okay, so it's like um, what drives you to do work? Is it like a carrot, like a reward? Or is it a stick, like a punishment? And um, what I've noticed is uh, like what drives me to work is a, is a stick, right? It's not like I don't work for rewards. I, I work so I don't get punished. Yeah. And I was finding with the shows on the weekend kind of thing, the reason I would work so hard during the week is because I didn't want to like play a set that I didn't feel good about on the weekend. Yes. And I, and I didn't want to like uh, play a set that was like not the best I could do kind of thing because I wanted people to be like as impressed as possible yeah. sort of thing. So like, so you're, you're in your mind, you're holding your own stick. Exactly. You. <laughs> you kind of. I mean, but not really, right? Like, it's the show is the stick, and like, oh yeah, people's reaction. But it's your expectation the... of yourself performing at the show, of like, oh, I want this to be good. I want to. Yeah, I suppose hate myself. So, yeah. If I didn't give a shit something about it, I don't like, it couldn't possibly be a thing that I was like uh, punishing myself over. Yeah. No, um, I can. I can totally see that. I think I'm the same way a lot because uh, with like the carrot, I'm. I will be eating the carrot. All the time, if there is one, sort of. <laughs> right. Just instead of working, I will find a way to just eat the carrot and not work. 
Oh, yeah, right. Like give yourself the reward without doing the work kind of thing. Yeah. Like you'll figure out a way to circumvent the work. Yeah, then I'll just, that's where like all my effort will go. Unless the effort, uh, yeah, huh, maybe I can trick myself into like, oh, the effort required is to do some work or something. <laughs> but it, it can't feel like this in my brain. Right. Yeah, one uh, thing um, the stopping of shows did that really kind of teach me though is like um, how important deadlines are. So, mm-hmm. like, the show thing every weekend was kind of like a deadline every week, right? So, it's like you have to meet yeah. like a certain thing every week. And I think that that's the kind of rhythm you were talking about that that I that I also kind of had um, happening. Yes. <clears throat> and, yeah, when you remove that sort of deadline uh, and you just sort of have this open-ended, like, I can do it whenever type attitude, mm-hmm. and it's just like life moves at this incredibly, like, slow, leisurely pace, then yeah, it can yeah. get a little bit like, and especially if you're a type of person who can who derives a lot of their self worth from their work, like you know mm-hmm. the quality of your work and the uh, uh, quantity of your work and stuff like that. Then yeah, it can get pretty depressing pretty quick. Yeah, if that slowly like slows down and and exactly there's there's less for you to feed off of. It reminds me a little bit also of like the this the the pressure of school and doing homework, where I would always wait with that until like the last possible moment, and then with deadlines, even if it's for something like music, it still has the same feeling of pressure. But then if it's music, it's like it's not homework. It's something I I I, I want to do. Why am I putting it off? But I still I do need this sort of framework of oh yeah until until this day or something and then sometimes it'll be like rossi being like okay uh, you, you you should have handed this tune in by yesterday or something or the sample pack and then i'm like damn it but then i'll do it in a day and i'll actually be happy with it and i'll be <laughs> like wow look at what you did in a day imagine you you would have worked on this for a week or something at the same pace yeah, yeah sometimes, sometimes it doesn't works. work that way right it's like because it's um fuck there's something i always forget the name of it but it's like some uh not a fallacy but like a kind of like a rule like a golden rule and that is that um as much resources as you assign to a thing is as much resources as that thing will take to do so a good example of this is in like uh, civil engineering where like if a city assigns like a million dollars to build a bridge well the bridge is going to cost a million dollars to build right but if they only assigned half a million dollars to build this bridge well, the bridge would still get built, but it would only have eaten up half a million dollars. And I feel like it's the same kind of thing with work. It's like if you assign yourself one week to do a bunch of work, like you're just going to take the whole week to do it, whether or not it takes you a week to do it or not. Uh, uh, or if it takes you I more see. than a week to do it, you're still going to get yeah. it done in a week um, if, yeah. you, if you assign that amount of like t- uh, time resource to doing it. But um, Time, you know, time budget just, allocation. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I like I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, so I find quite often I try to do that, but it's just hard to to like assign yourself a certain amount of time to do something when you know the consequence of not doing it is just like nothing. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. The consequence of like not finishing a tune and it getting uploaded to Beatport is like not the end of the world. Like yeah, if, if it happens next week or the week after or even next month or whatever, it's like who gives a shit. I also do. I do still have like as, as one of the driving forces a little bit of just general anxiety of oh I sh- I should keep this up. What if I run out of money? Oh my god, the future, uh, which is which can be a little. It can be unhealthy, but it can also be like a bit of a driving force for you to get up and work and and do something for YouTube. Uh, no, for just for me the like the underlying anxiety of. 
oh, I should be making money. I can't sit on my ass. What about the future? Uh, right. Maybe it's like a, maybe it's like almost like guilt, but guilt can be a really driving force. Just like oh, look at yourself. Don't sit here on your ass. You should be you should be uh, productive. Right. Maybe so that's it's like, like um, bit, bit of my bit of my parents' fault. This like way of for me to think about these things like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like a punishment driven stuff right because it's like yeah oh yeah uh, right now we're back at the yeah the reason why you're like driving yourself to work is is so you don't get punished in the future yeah i would say kind of similar um like i was actually talking to joel about this uh he says like one thing he does is he likes to put himself um like he likes to keep his costs extremely high like Mm -hmm. his house mortgage payments are extremely high he has like a car that's just like costing him like thousands and thousands of dollars a month just to own because i guess he's paying taxes on it or whatever and then um you know he has like uh, tons and tons of uh like visual content being produced all the time and all this kind of stuff so his costs are incredibly high uh but he says that drives him to work because his costs are so high he can't like possibly stop or otherwise like he's just gonna like start going in debt real quick Damn, I feel like I've been doing something like this subconsciously with just getting incredible amounts of synthesizers or, or <laughs> Lego sets or something. The Lego sets was a little bit of uh, trying to distract me, but <laughs> um, yeah. My manager's always shouting at me to save up more money and like get a house or something. I should probably do that. That might be a good idea. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Um, would you buy a house in LA? I don't know. Probably... So my wife always wants to move to um, Japan and I wouldn't be against that. I need to get off my ass and learn some Japanese to begin uh, to begin with. So I can order like food in Japanese and I can survive as a tourist. But if we wanted to live there, I would definitely have to learn some. She, she speaks it fluently. She could help me, te- like she could teach it me to me a little bit. But um, yeah, the question would be get a house there or get a house here. We were both going to like go there on this thing that's called a work and travel visa because Germany offers that for like anyone in Germany under the age of 30 or something. You have to just write like a little motivational letter and then you can get um, a year-long visa for any country that partners with Germany on this and Japan does. So you can just go there and you have a visa for a year and you're supposed to find a job during that time. And if you do, you're employer in japan will get you the next visa and then you can stay there and live a life there that's like our plan to like start that but then the question would be to buy a house there or not it's the market there is also a little different i think there's like if you even if you just rent something out there there are like a lot more interesting fees there's like key money and then you have to pay like four or five monthly rents on the day you move in like there's like a really high entrance cost to even if you're just renting out a place like the security fee or whatever yeah <laughs> and i don't think I, you don't get a lot of that back either it's just like a one-time fee that's just bye-bye but um Weird. we always we wanted to go to japan like all year of course just to like sit out corona over there but obviously japan is still closed and um they might be opening up in january i've heard rumors i've been looking up online if there's any news on this but because um, usually we'll we'd go like once a year in January or something. Yeah, for nice. two or three weeks. That'd be kind of a pain though if you're touring a lot, right? Because um, or at least maybe what you would have to do then is just sort of like group your touring. So just do yeah. like you know, twenty shows and then like go back yeah. to Japan for six months and then like twenty more shows. And- yeah, I think it wouldn't be that bad. It might even be kind of nice because then I would have to be a little more selective with which 
uh, US shows I'll accept and it would be kind of fun to have US as a tour rather than right now where I'm just here it's just like oh yeah whatever any weekend whatever's open right now sort mm. of and rather have it like as a nice package and then uh, and there's been some shows in Japan coming up too which I'm super excited about that'd be nice to have yeah, more nice. of a foothold there I know the fees aren't crazy Japan is more like a looks kind of thing like hey I, I play Tokyo sort of like you're not gonna make crazy money playing DJ shows in Japan, but right, yeah, I've never been offered a show there. They have like a the, pretty the cool IDM cool. scene there. Like, there's a few artists from there that I've heard that are pretty cool IDM artists. Oh, nice. Um, what kind of synths have you been buying? Um, I have a Poly Brute on my wish list for Christmas, and I have a Matrix Brute here. I think I'll just put the Poly Brute under it, and then I want to run that stuff through some effects. I got the um. What's the company? Dreadbox? Uh, Dreadbox Hypnosis. Oh, the ones that... Do they make the... the is that by Polyend? Um, oh, no, that's something else. I know what you mean. Um, mm. That's a different looking thing. Um, the Dreadbox Hypnosis is, in, uh, is an effect uh, box that just has a really nice flanger uh, delay and a spring reverb. And uh, especially the flanger sounds really cool. I also have a Moog 1 and then running just the Moog 1 through just like a really basic pluck through this flanger sounds like the main bass from Gustafelstein Pursuit. Like mm. the intro. It just immediately with this flanger, it's the, the flanger makes that sound. Nice. So sick. And then I got some semi-modular stuff because I didn't have a place to uh, put like a proper modular rack. So I have like a... Um, uh, endorphin shuttle system uh, like the further generator and those and then uh, no coast uh, micro volt 5000 or something no 3900 from Pittsburgh um, uh, Erebus Dreadbox uh, uh, Dreadbox Erebus this way around um, and uh, Prophet XL as like the main just piano thing to just turn on and play piano nice awesome what, what was the like drive for starting to get into hardware um, to make the studio look a little more lively and then um, I, I've always like we had some um, modular stuff at university like we would get we got into that a little bit during that time we'd have someone from Schneider's Laden which is like a big modular shop in Berlin come over to a university and just bring tons of modular gear just set it up for a couple of days and then do like a little almost like a course with us but it would only be like for the producers at the university there'd be like maybe five people in the room it was like a not a very university lesson kind of vibe it was just hanging out and this guy telling us about the hardware and then for the rest of the three days we'd just jam and I was always like ah I, I want this eventually myself and uh but it's but it's really expensive so I still have this plan of maybe I put together this shopping list of like these are my dream modules and they would all really work together really well but it's really expensive and I always thought it would be cool to make a Patreon or a Kickstarter where it's like whenever there's enough money raised for one of the modules I'll get it and I'll be like okay now I have to make a video about it and at the end of the whole project make an EP just using the big modular rack that will eventually be built at the end of this project but I feel like it would work probably but it would take me an entire year it would be such a time time consuming project Mm, yeah true i found i actually just sold off tons of my modular stuff i found um that i just wasn't really using it a lot it yeah. was sort of just sitting there uh, are you still did you, did you sell everything are you still selling some what you got <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i do have a couple of things still actually uh i think i have like uh let's see 
Let me check my reverb shop. <laughs> uh, oh, I just I just ordered something on reverb last night as well. I found someone was selling a game changer motor synth. Yeah, reverb's a great place to buy and sell stuff, actually. Um, so I have a, a 2HP 3 to 1, which is just like a, you put in three signals and then can kind of randomly throw out one or the other. Uh, and then a WMD Ultra Fold. Wave folder or something? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I kind of sold off everything else. And then I actually just got these two little tip-top... Uh, happy ending racks and just like mounted them into my desk uh and then i just have kind of like it's sort of just like a little outboard area now so it's like morphogene which is a sampler and then qpass which is a filter and then you know some other stuff like a distortion and whatnot oh, so nice. i can just sort of like send signals quickly out of live into here and then back into live and yes that's something i was i was trying to <laughs> maybe make because i have uh, unused rack space on this table here too and um the first modular thing I ever built was kind of a small rack, but the main reason, like the main thing about it was that it had like an in and an out, and then I would just want to run other stuff through it and, and mess with that, like use audio to FM an oscillator or, or, or just get like weird resonators in there and, and use it as like an external effect thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm just such an in-the-box kind of producer that that this just makes the most sense to just have something to go in and out of like this. I know, me, me too, most of the time. I can get really lost in just, like, I also got a little um, OP1. I can just get lost in just working with that. And then it's like, a, just sometimes it's just nice and refreshing to not look at a laptop screen, but, but still make nerdy music. And I do enjoy menu diving too. Mm -hmm. I really don't mind it, as, <laughs> even if it's like a hardware thing, like, I don't know, like a cork wave state or something where it's almost like why isn't this just a plugin i still enjoy getting into like a horrible little cal uh, calculator display <laughs> and yeah, adjusting yeah. things and making presets on and like on these things. having to turn one knob and like push it <laughs> mm -hmm. to try and like get down into the menus i also <clears> got a little um what's it the the um arturia um what's a keystep pro because it has four sequencers in it now with like cv out and gate out for all of the sequences and i have I think exactly four semi-modular synths, so I can run them all at the same time. I haven't locked myself in yet to do that. Um, but on the topic of like running something through Outboard for effects, I also got a bunch of uh, effect pedals, like guitar pedals, but they're all um, grain-based and pitch-based. And I've been just chaining them in a row. Um, and if you just turn them all on and play anything through it, it just turns into bubbly, uh, grainy, blissful noise. Yeah, nice. Kind of like granular flocks. This new granular yes. synth I've been playing with. Um, tell me more about the publishing deal. I know we've talked about it before, but I still don't like understand how it works or like why, why, it, like what it is. I've never like outside of you, I've never heard of this term before. Yeah, it's. I think um, I'm the only other artist next to. I don't know who else is on this publishing uh, or which other producers. I think maybe Blood Pub was or something. Um, but there's, I think there's some vocalists as well. And then if I like, if I'm looking for some vocalists for a song, then I'll like hit up whoever my contact for this publishing was um, for for on at Ausla, and they'll be still send me like uh, SoundCloud playlists of like, hey, we've got these vocalists we're working with. Maybe th these are like their demos. If there's someone you want to work with there, then we can hit them up. Um, or they're like. It's basically just really good for for making making contacts or connections. Uh, 
I think when I when we first got the deal as well, Rossi just asked me to like, hey, just make a list of people you would want to work with. Like it doesn't matter who, just make a list. Like write down Katy Perry or uh whatever. And I wrote down like Aaron Gillespie from Under Oath or something. And and then they were like, Oh yeah, we actually got a connection to him here with I don't know if it was through the publishing or not, and then we made a song together, yeah. Which isn't <laughs> out yet. But it helps like for that and for for, for writing sessions. Uh And then I guess also to make it easier if I work with Sunny for like the whole and back end of, of sync deals for whatever songs we make or whatever. I don't, yeah. How does your That's, production with uh, Sunny work? Um, we've been just working on like lots of stuff for other people. Uh, We're also working on like stuff together, but um, I don't ever know when that's going to be finished or, or how long that's going to take. Um, I spent some time with him at uh, Rick Rubin's studio in Malibu. There's he has like this uh, this garden house in on his front lawn that you can I guess rent out. Uh, and um, Sonny was just having sessions there where he's like working on some <coughs> other people's new albums, and then I would just come over and play piano. There'd be like lots of other musicians just hanging out there. It just all felt like a really nice organic jam session i think tony royster jr was doing some drums i didn't know of him before before i saw him there but i, I looked him up he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's super insane. dope yeah, he's a great drummer. yeah and um and then i'd, I'd play like piano and there'd be like some guitarists and we'd just like jam all day and um write a song recorded there'd be like a, a technician or two making sure like one on pro tools recording another one taking care of cables and everything and then at four in the morning or something Uh, Sway Lee came over and recorded vocals on it and that was really sick till like 8 or 10 in the morning <laughs> no respect for any sleep cycles or something we'd sleep for like maybe two hours um, but that was, it was just super cool I don't know where those songs are going to end up but then through the publishing I know that I will be fine and if something comes out I will get my royalty split or something I guess that's like the, the main thing it's for Besides me getting the studio space here to work uh, to work in, hmm, that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds But fun. Yeah, so we've been just making lots of pop music, basically. Right. Um, so is uh, Sunny now mostly working on other people's stuff? Is that kind of his main deal these days? Yeah, I think I'm. He he also has like al like one or two albums that are if, sound pretty much done, but he'll hold off with the release or think of like um every time i meet him it was like uh, a whiteboard with like the plan of oh yeah these are the list of songs and then these are the names for the albums and the next time i would come over two weeks later it would all be crossed out and it would be four eps with completely different titles so maybe he's also like waiting for corona to be over a little bit because it's like if you now put out like an album or or even two it would be like you can't tour it <clears throat> so you might want to wait until you know you can or something Yeah, now's the time to put out all the down-tempo weird stuff, I think. Yeah. Because it's when I've been everyone's in, sitting at home. Yeah, listening. I've been enjoying all the cool experimental stuff or something that's been coming out. I've been also, I've been really enjoying actually the melodic rhythm wave. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like, like uh, the Ulysses label thing, the Halcyon or Halcyon. Oh yeah. So there's really cool stuff coming out there that's like also like future rhythm weird weirdness and then... Um, Who else? Chime uh, started his own label called Rushdown or something with more, like, less yoinky rhythm, but more melodic dubstep. But th the lines are kind of blurry there and because of, like, them both using the, the same new crazy sound design techniques. 
Um, but I've been really enjoying yeah. it. It's been a it's been a fresh wind, phonon as well. His kind of stuff. Yeah, I feel like this kind of always happens, right? It's like music goes in general, especially in the in the dubstep and just the experimental and kind of like edgy electronic music world music like it always goes incredibly like aggressive and like hard and then there's like this big wave of like cool melodic stuff that comes along like yeah. for instance the last time this happened it was sort of like the skrillex thing happened <clears throat> um and then flume came along oh uh, yeah right and then there oh, was like that it. big wave of like future and stuff after that right future um, bass and everything after that yeah that's a good observation and then it was the heavy tear out devil worship rhythm of sudden death mm. and now it's that but in melodic right. it's almost I, I this is this is, goes hand in hand with my iphone theory where i feel like it oscillates between a more boxy and then a more flush iphone with every generation and then with like a new os update now the text is a little bolder and the colors are a little brighter and then the next update the text is like sleek and thin again just so you feel like oh it's new all uh, right yeah you think it's just um people just like anything just oscillates between these so it's like oh it's different so, so that it is different from the last but it might maybe it's just my perception or like a crazy mm. theory but uh, that makes was, sense i, I mean it's kind of like sometimes. doing a mix down too right because like you'll do a mix down you'll listen to it and you'll be like it sounds fine honestly yeah. but then you'll change a bunch of shit and be like oh it sounds like so much more fresh and it's like just because oh you know, yeah just because it's different basically this is also interesting um with a lot of the like crazier dubstep rhythm mix downs being like a little questionable sometimes or like intentionally really aggressive uh, and like nothing like a Zomboy mix down, let's say. But then in, especially in a live context, if you just listen to Zomboy tunes for an hour or Space Laces tunes, not saying their mix downs are absolutely amazing, but if it's only their exact mix down for an hour, it can get a little tiring for the ears or you'll get really used to it so if it's just like a big variation in mix downs as well like playing a zomboy tune but then playing like a really shitty mix down tune that's still fun or something has a lot of sub but is just some suddenly really aggressive in the mids and really harsh something that like josh would never do then it's just way more refreshing and you get way more surprised throughout the whole set totally yeah i think it's this um same as like art right if you just do art all in like black and white it can sometimes yeah. get a little bit bland, but then if you start adding like very contrasting colors, it can pique the interest again. Yeah, I guess this is uh, yeah, this is applicable on a broader spectrum. You're right. Yeah, I've definitely thought about. Um, it was actually Yeti that told me about this the first time, where he was like, uh, like I played a set and he like saw the set, and I was like, cool. What did you think of it? Because I really liked his set when I saw him play, and he mm. was like, oh, it's pretty cool, but it just felt like a bit gray. And I was like, yeah. what do you mean? And he was like, oh, you just like, because I played all my own tunes. And he was like, I just seem kind of like the same palette for like a, an entire hour. Whereas um, what he'll do is he'll play like like an 8-bit chip tune and then like a hip-hop beat and then like a really heavy dubstep tune and then like a, you know, old school Venetian snares thing and like so on and so forth. But he'll make it work really well. Like he makes yeah. a great DJ and he like mixes it all really interestingly and cool. But um yeah, ever since then, I've been kind of like playing other people's stuff out more and trying to do that exact thing. Like I'll try and mm. switch between timbres a lot so the so people's ears don't really get bored. The only person I've noticed um, who can do this whilst playing all of their own music whilst not boring me seems to be Tipper. <laughs> I've never heard a live set from him, but I, I know his music. 
dude he's really good it's crazy he can just like play his own shit for an entire hour or whatever and i i never get bored i never just think it's the same i mean it kind of yeah. yeah i never think it's the same palette for an hour it kind of is but it's so in it's such an interesting sound palette that nice. like it just doesn't get boring that quick um, I, I, especially when I started DJing, I think I was playing a lot of other people's songs. Like for once, because I didn't have a lot of stuff, I felt comfortable playing live. But also I always, like, especially when I started, I was sorting all my music library with like, I changed all the file names to start with the key and the tempo because I really wanted to make sure everything like fits together and the transitions are really nice. Um I'm still like playing a lot of other people's stuff, even in like a 60 minute set. I sometimes try to fit in like a little bit of house and a little bit of drum and bass. Um, I've been getting better and better reactions in the US for drum and bass too. That makes me really happy. Um, but I, I see what you mean uh, with the yeah, change up of the palette. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever have a set where I would only play my own stuff. I don't think I could do that because I would bore myself too. Mm. It's kind of the same with like eating as well right like if you're sitting down eating a meal like if you're just eating rice or something yeah. and then you like add like if you're eating indian food and there's like a bunch of curries and you've just been eating like one curry and rice or something the whole time and then there's like another mm. one you're like ooh, interesting and like then you start adding like sauces and shit and like also um for me i i, I think one of the first sets i ever heard live by just going to a venue was at boats house in cologne and it was flostradamus and at the time i really wasn't into like trappy stuff like or hybrid trap and he was playing in such a way that i was still i just wanted to stay i just wanted to know what was coming next because he was just bringing in a new song every 16 bars or something and i was just like damn this is super engaging though and really interesting like this isn't very much my style but all right and then i was like i want to dj like this too so now it's like every 16 bars new song <laughs> oh damn so you you play what like 70 tracks in an hour or something yeah sometimes damn it's crazy yeah i've seen maybe um... it's just maybe it's just my adhd just me getting bored really quickly and then also since i because of the fast playing and because of tempo changes i use sync but then i also want to be busy at all times so and it's just like okay load up the next track <laughs> i don't i don't want to just stand around and wave my arms around okay maybe i do sometimes yeah i like how in rhythm um people seem to take that approach to djing they like try to do really active djing which is kind of cool yeah. Uh, I also like that um, it's pretty funny how like uh, dubstep producers will just spend like so long trying to get their tracks as loud as possible, trying to like squeeze every little bit of headroom out of a limiter and stuff like that. Mm. And then rhythm DJs just come along and be like, yeah, I'll play two at once. <laughs> <laughs> and then like play three at once. Fuck it. <laughs> yes. It's like a way to get around uh, the needing to be louder problem just play two mm. tracks at the same time oh yeah i was i was watching a video on loudness the other day on youtube uh where it was about um the how it like normalizes everything on spotify now and and on youtube and which what your target lufs should be mm. and so on and um one yeah. of the one of one of an interesting random side fact in there was that like because it was about dynamic there was like really neat graphs about the dynamic range in different environments like in a cinema versus in a home theater and then on an airplane like the compression of airplane <laughs> movie audio is oh, a yeah. whole other thing because it's got to overpower the jet engine so it's just super pushed. Yeah, I've actually kind of noticed that before on planes, and I've always wondered if it's just the shitty like earphones they give you or if it's the 
the processing they do to the audio. But yeah, I guess that makes sense that they change the audio for airplanes. Yeah, and like even with the shitty earphones, it's like okay, the 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 customer still has to be able to hear the entire movie, so we gotta blast it. <laughs> um, can you work on airplanes? Have you ever had to oh. like work on airplanes or work while you're traveling a lot? Do you have like any headphones you like, or do you hate headphones in general? Um, so if I'm traveling, I actually like to use these, the AirPods, uh, just because yeah. they're easy, they're wireless, they have noise canceling, all that sort of stuff. Um, What about the latency? The latency is fine. With them? Okay. Yeah. You get used to it really quickly. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I honestly like don't really work on airplanes anyway. Usually when I sit on airplanes, I use it as like a, an excuse to shut my brain off for an hour. I, I honestly just yeah. listen to podcasts mostly. Oh, nice. Um, and treat it as like some time where I can like learn some new stuff about a new topic by just listening to some Radio Lab podcast or M NPR podcast or something. Dear listener, if you're listening to this on an airplane right now, we got you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is quite possible that someone will listen to this <laughs> on an airplane one day. Nice. I've I've um I've tried to be very productive on the road as much as I can and uh, try to work on airplanes, and one of the This is, oh, this is hashtag DJ's complain. The <laughs> laptop getting so hot that your legs start sweating uncontrollably. And then um, also I just got so good at sleeping on airplanes just because of sometimes it would be like so many shows in a row that I would have to like sleep on an airplane. And then now I've gotten so good at it that as soon as I sit down in an airplane seat, my brain is like, oh, we're going to bed? <laughs> All right, get really tired now. Can't work on anything. Immediately passed out. <laughs> yeah, I actually kind of have a similar thing. Like as soon as I put the neck pillow on and sit down, it's just like... <laughs> Almost, but um, I do work a lot in hotel rooms when I'm traveling a lot, though. I find that to be pretty easy. And I, I use a PC, actually, which means that, like, uh, the trackpad on my laptop sucks ass and, like, I don't know, the, just the whole, like, laptop build is not as nice as an Apple. So yeah. um, it's not as easy to just, like, pull out and, like, connect your AirPods and, like, go. So I, I, I like, I travel with an audio interface and, like, headphones and a mouse and, like, oh, a mouse see. pad and, like, all that kind of shit. So when I get oh, to a hotel, a, a I kind of set up. Yeah, I just set up, like, a little studio sort of. Oh, that's cool. I had a friend from university who was really good at that because he started writing for like J-pop and K-pop uh, groups and everything. So he would fly out there and he made this little Pelican roller back travel case that was still like um, air, um, airplane compartment sized so you could take it on an airplane. But it was just like this every cable, every adapter you could think of in like foam that was perfectly made for it. He was he's very OCD. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, that, that was also like my dream travel case. But I actually, like, I have to admit my main reason why I switched to a MacBook was to work with Sonny because before I've met him a couple times and I had a Windows laptop and then he would be like, oh yeah, let me jump on that. Let me work on this for a little bit. And he would just be unable to operate the machine <laughs> to speak. I can totally get it if I just, if I go on, even if it's just another person's tower PC my brain just has to get used and needs a few days to just get used to like a new keyboard and a new mouse and if it's a laptop i've never been on the trackpad is just gonna be really frustrating for at least a couple of hours before you really got used to it so it's just like okay and then um i think at three days or something before i had like a proper session with him someone sat on my windows laptop and broke the screen so i was <laughs> like this is the sign <laughs> this is the moment and then I've ever been with a with a MacBook now and I have to say if I, it has fallen out of my backpack multiple times because I was so stupid I forgot to zip up the laptop side and it would fell like fall on marble airport floor oh shit probably like nine or ten times by now and it is fine damn 
Yeah, I, the, I, the I know every Windows laptop I've had before would have not survived that. Totally. Yeah, they're built really well, and they're re yeah they're really nice computers. I think I'll switch eventually, um, mostly because I want to consolidate everything into one machine. I'm kind of sick of having like a laptop and a desktop and. Oh, I see. Yeah, I kind of want to just have like one machine for everything. Uh, built a desktop PC again to like do visuals and stuff with like Cinema 4D and Octane render. So you need NVIDIA cards and. Uh, then I was tempted to maybe go back to Windows because I also want to use Harmer and Citrus again in Ableton. But <laughs> I just I, I installed FL Studio on my Mac now, and I'm trying to learn it. I'm slowly getting into it. FL Studio. So, yeah, so I can do sound design there, and then export, and then arrange in Ableton. Why? Why do you want to do sound design in FL? Because I miss Citrus, Vocodex, and Harmer, and um, also I have never like. Uh, Patcher was something I wanted to try and mess with ever since I was watching the old Seamless tutorials. Mm. But I just miss Harmer. <laughs> yeah, I got the fruity stuff earlier this year. I've been using it a little bit for sure. Especially for like the very glossy, computery sounding future rhythm sound at the moment. Oh, Harmer yeah. is like the thing. The only other thing like Razor and Reactor can kind of get you there as well. Yeah. Or yeah, most additive stuff can, right? Like Loom as well as this plugin called Loom Two. Oh, I got that. Yeah. Yeah, that can kind of do That's it as well, one. I think. Um, Vital as well to some degree. Have you used Vital yet? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I got that. I was really surprised. Um, it's pretty fun. Um, the text to speech is cool, and I do like the warp modes, like some of the like random harmonics or random amplitude for random harmonics, just to create uh, weird, glossy randomness good filters yeah i was i was very surprised that came out of nowhere yeah well not not, not out of nowhere the guy's been working on it for three years oh yeah yeah, true. <laughs> yeah but it's cool that he made it free it's like a model i've never seen before which is really interesting where mm. like um the synth is free and then there's like preset packs and whatnot in the synth yeah. that, that people can buy speaking of which anyone listening should buy my presets because it means i get money <laughs> <laughs> um have you made many sounds with vital yet um, not that much. I I still I need to have like a sound design session and just export some stuff out of it. I've been going more towards working with audio as well, where I would just I guess also just because of how much I've been doing sample packs now, I would really split it up between like a session where I'm only making sounds and export them into my own folders, and then if I do songwriting, I would use those as a go-to instead of trying to make all the sounds from scratch in the project file. Yeah, I feel that. I kind of like do the same thing a little bit as well. Um, render a lot of stuff to audio. I, I go through phases though. Sometimes I'll try and leave everything in MIDI just because I'm like, it forces me to have to like be a little bit more um, intentional, I, I guess. Like when yeah. everything's in audio, I can just like stretch, cut, reverse, like to my heart's content. And it's like almost a crutch, I feel like, for getting around problems. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Like it'll sometimes just be like, oh yeah, this sounds good. This isn't exactly what I wanted, but I will leave it like this. Exactly, yeah. W rather than like actually fighting for the for the result that you want. Yeah. And I realized I would, I, I always did this subconsciously, but I would do a, uh, if I had like an idea for, let's say, a job, I would draw it out in just init massives or init serums. If it's like a bass note, I would just play a root note. And if it was a chord fill, I'd just play it all with like init sounds. And then once that's like written out as a phrase idea, then go in and edit all the sounds to where I wanted it to be. That has been like a nice approach for me to get exactly what I was 
thinking of without getting stuck on the first sound and then forgetting what the entire rest of the phrase was as well. <laughs> just because yeah, my brain, idea. I know my brain will be like, oh yeah, we, f- we just forgot everything <laughs> because you spent an hour on this one yoink on the kick. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when you do that as well, like when you um, sort of have an idea and then execute that idea, it feels like you have a little bit more ownership over the song rather than mm. if you just sort of make things that just so happened out of like uh, happenstance and like accidents and coincidences and whatnot. Yeah. Then um, all of a sudden you're like, uh, I don't know, this doesn't really feel like mine, but also I did it, I guess. <laughs> there can be a, a for, I've also had it the other way around almost where for a while, I don't know, maybe I was just so into it with my head that everything I made intentionally was always like, oh yeah, this is how I imagined it. And then it wasn't as exciting anymore. And if I w- and if there was this little bit of happy accident randomness of, oh, I didn't think of this, but this is cool. It was triggering more of an excitement within me to keep working for some reason. Mm. So I was just trying to find ways or plugins that would give me this experience a lot more and have like intentional randomness or good good synths that have a randomize everything button and then just have a session of just going through that and saving good results or something. Yeah, totally. Um, I think <clears throat> AppSynth is a good one for that one. Oh yeah, any synth with a randomize button on it is good for that. I feel like synths that don't have a randomize button on them are dumb. I feel like every synth should have one. Yes. I guess, wait, does Please. Serum have one? Yes. I guess not. I don't know. Well, Serum's not dumb. I actually just Mass- had Steve Duda on the podcast. Oh, sweet. Massive Massive has a randomized button. Oh, yeah. That, uh, oh, a lot man, there's a know great about. trick with Massive. You basically, like, draw a long MIDI clip and then yeah. uh, put a big pitch bend in the MIDI clip uh, and then you just keep hitting randomize and it just, like, constantly will spit out different rises. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Nice. It's like a good cheap way to <laughs> to get a ton of rises, and eventually you hit something good, and you can sort of automate the process with IAC drivers. Like if you send MIDI out of Ableton and back in, you can kind of uh, have MIDI to trigger that randomize button. You can just sort of leave it sitting there on record for oh. as long as you want. Oh, nice! This reminds me of this idea that I had of a project file, and if it was a if it was a rhythm song, it would be kind of easy to do because. Um, the whole layout of it would be pretty simple but basically a project file that uses this a lot for every single sound and even for the drum kit where like the drum kit is twister tools polyplex or something so at the beginning of the song if you just start the project file it just gives you a fresh drum kit it'll randomize the risers the intro melody could even be like if there's like an intro arp or something it could be 128 midi clips and it randomly selects one and then it also randomizes the sound for it so basically every time you play the song it's a new song and then it's just the rhythm generator project file and you just export it five times in a row and it should be five different songs kind of <laughs> wait you made this in ableton no i want to i made the oh. idea i have it all like written down and how it would how i would have to do it but it's i've, I've haven't sat down and done it actually and this would just be like an als yeah nice yeah that makes sense i guess you could just yeah it would always be picking from like a finite amount of samples and stuff and patches and whatnot right but the patches would include some uh, randomness, oh, where, like, okay. which waveforms at FM at what pitch, mm. and then the pattern that that patch would play would be selected from like a library of MIDI clips. Right. So the variety uh, would be a little bigger. If if there would even be a way of like, okay, the intro is 16 bars, or it randomizes it to 32 bars, I haven't found out how to do that yet. 
Oh, um, did you... Pick a random drop sample from a library of vocals. <laughs> Have you seen Juke Blocks yet? No, what's that? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, type in uh, jukeblocks.io and then uh, select a genre and just hit generate. And you'll see it like generates um, a so bunch a of... Genre. Yeah, it basically generates like a bunch of clips and then you can uh, export the ALS or the uh, FL Studio project file or whatever and then just open it and it kind of like has all of your structure and MIDI notes and stuff already there. Ah, oh, I saw the I saw the thumbnail for the video about this. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. I mean, I, I looked at it quickly the other day and thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, um, that's a cool idea. I just I found out I found like an old tune of uh, old tune a year ago of his last night that uh, I was like, how did I not know about this? It was the one for the form all nighter compilation. Oh what right, it called yeah, Spitfire with. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard artists. his music. I've heard I've watched his YouTube videos a lot though. He makes some pretty cool videos. He also made that um live enhancement suite thing, didn't he? Or? Yes. Nice. Right. Uh, speaking of, I still have to enhance my live 11. Have you tried uh, the 11 beta? Yeah, it's what I'm mostly using on a day-to-day -day basis now. Same. Um, uh, um, I still need to, I still wanted to make a audio effect racks of the old chorus and phaser and flanger just to still have them. Oh, that's a good idea, yeah, just in case. like. Because yeah. I think the, the chorus now can do some th stuff I used to do with it. I made this crazy chorus rack that you might like where it's, um, and I wanted to do this for a couple of plugins because I remember this is from like an Andrew Huang video where he would just load up a hundred choruses and then set them all to like oh, yeah. the stock <laughs> presets. Yeah. So I made a rack where it's like 25 choruses <laughs> and a knob to like turn them all on after another. So mm -hmm. you can like have one or 25 or somewhere in between. And then all the other macros of the rack are just macro controlling everything on the choruses, but on all of them together. So one knob will be the delay time one for all of the choruses. One of the knobs will be the dry wet for all of them. One of them will be linked to all the feedbacks. Right, so right. you're remote controlling a swarm of choruses. <laughs> now my dream feature would be to have like a detune spread on the knobs over the multiple choruses. Uh, that would just parameters. Take a lot of programming. Yeah, uh, but um, a lot of macro mapping. It sounds, it sounds really fun. I can send you some sounds I've made with it. It sounds like a uh, robot elephant, but like a really good one. <laughs> yeah, you should send me the rack. That'd be awesome. That's a fun one. Yeah, a few of your I, racks I'm yeah. a big fan of. I really like the Fletcher Munson one. I use that a lot. Oh, yeah. And, and now now everyone's using Soothe. So, yeah, I mean, I use Soothe too, but I use the Fletcher Munson one sometimes too. For those who like don't know what that is, basically it looks like you built the Fletcher Munson curve, which is like the equal loudness contour curve for EQ8, and then it's just like a an amount control using the scale uh, value on the EQ to sort of turn it up or down by an amount or whatever. And, um, yeah, it works really well. It just like sort of – it kind of is just like Ableton Live native Soothe <laughs> to some degree, but it's not dynamic. Oh, you could now with the envelope follower modulation thing. Oh, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> Fuck, I never thought about that. You could probably make Soothe in Ableton now to some degree. Yeah, oh, the different the different um, uh, you points need... of that EQ linking to the envelope follower, but have that react to audio from only that area as well. Yeah, you would need Then to... you're building your own dynamic Pro-Q3. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my... Could be worth it. I mean, save people a couple of hundred bucks. If, if I mean, collectively, like let's say Pro Q3 is what a hundred bucks or something. If a hundred people downloaded this and used it in place of Pro Q3 and Soothe, 
you've just like saved people collectively like thousands of dollars. <laughs> True. <laughs> Uh, nice. I might, I might. I wanted to do some like racks actually, maybe, and sell them. But then I also don't know where to sell them because Splice doesn't do racks. Oh, sell them on like Gumroad or something. All right, because I had like so many cool ideas. I made another one that's like a grain delay spreader. It's like a. It's just like a doubler, but using grain delays and like feeding f them in slowly on one knob, and then like it would be just the dry signal in the middle. But then one that's like plus fifty cents and minus fifty cents left and right. With like the shortest delay time though, so it's not it's not like an actual delay. It's just like instant, but it would only be on the sides, but it would be a little detuned, and then you can bring in more, and they'll be more detuned. It's like a an audio detune yeah, thing nice. with multiple voices. Well, yeah, when when you make all these racks, you should send them all to me because I love racks. Yes, I will. Um, so I gotta go because I got a chess lesson in like fifteen minutes. I've been sick. Yeah, I've chess been... is dope. Yeah, yeah, I've been studying chess for like half of the quarantine just because like I just, oh, needed, nice. I just needed more shit to do. So I was like, all right, I'm yeah. take it. I, wanna, I been... wanted to start chess lessons for a while anyway because like I, um, I've been into it for a while. Yeah. I just wanted to get better at it. So I just decided to start taking lessons. I've been getting in and out of all kinds of random side hobbies during quarantine just to like cope with shit like i yeah, started ordering i started ordering lego sets like the lego sets of my <laughs> childhood that i remember from like bionicle and lego racers and stuff <laughs> and now they are decorating my studio which is nice yeah nice that's a good hobby and then and then all the um all the modular gear that i still need to mess with i messed with it a little bit i've had some friends over and we just um we literally just use the further generator a reverb and i also have like an electron uh what's it called uh, analog heat mm. nice. and just distorting distorting crazy modular shit that was run through a reverb was just it, at some point it literally sounded exactly I still have the I still have the sound I can send it to you it sounded like the scream of that monster from the Aphex Twin Come to Daddy music video <laughs> nice when it comes out of the TV it was literally that it's just like a it's just like a PWM square wave or something you need with uh reverb and then distort but it'll because of the pwm square kind of vocally sound it comes with it'll just enhance it and it'll sound like some devil screaming demon <laughs> noises fuck yeah dude well um yeah thanks a lot for coming on man it was great to chat with you again i haven't chatted with you in ages yeah thanks for thanks for having me let me know next time you come uh, to la or something or i'll let you know if i'm ever in san francisco yeah will do nice all right. Um, anything else I need to... Let me think if there's anything I need to like plug or something. I don't know by what time this will go up. So check out whatever sample pack is currently out on Splice. Uh, and maybe by the time this comes out, I'll have my EP done. I don't think I've put out an EP this year. I feel so unproductive. Uh, I've been trying to make up with the sample packs, but yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Build podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. I'm